Welcome to ScotsCast, the Bible teaching podcast of Scots Church, Melbourne. Now, what does a good festival look like? And who doesn't like one? The parades, the music, the fireworks, the excited crowds, maybe the food. Think of Mooba that's held annually in Melbourne, held along the banks of the Yarra the largest free community festival in Australia. And pre-COVID, three to four million people would attend. Now, as for festivals, the ancient Jews had a number of them too. Mandated by God, religious ones, not secular ones. Some celebrated harvests of one kind or another, wheat, barley, grapes, But the great occasion in the year was the Passover, when the Jews celebrated an historical event. Jews of Jesus' day did it, and Jews who are observant do it today. Celebrated the great rescue of God's people from Egypt, the story of the Exodus. And God raised up a Moses to be that deliverer. Think of it like this. No exodus, no Israel. Just as if there's no death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, there's no church. Passover season. We heard about it in our reading from the New Testament. But this one was different. And the difference was Jesus. And that takes us to our passage, does it not? To John chapter 13, as our studies in John's Gospel continue today. Importantly, this is the beginning of the second great part of this Gospel. The Gospel of John is in simple language, but deep in meaning. It starts with what's called the prologue in chapter 1, and then Chapter 1 then continues right to chapter 12 with what's called the book of signs. Jesus says and does amazing things. Signs like turning water into wine in John 2 or raising his friend Lazarus from the dead in John 11. And then we come to John chapter 13. And there begins what scholars call the book of glory as Jesus, in what's traditionally known as that upper room, teaches his chosen disciples the deep truths about what he is about to accomplish, where he's about to go, and who he's going to send to represent him in the world after his coming to life again. And then the whole gospel finishes in chapter 21 with an epilogue, the afterword. So recall what we heard read to us from John 13. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world, an hour that is fraught with meaning, an hour of some decisive event that is going to happen, having loved his own who are in the world, he loved them to the end. And then there's this ominous note struck. During the supper, when the devil had 
already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things to his hand and that he had become from God and was going back to God, rose from the supper. Now the reference to the devil there underlines for us that in the Bible the devil is not a figure of fun but of menace. And Judas is about to become the agent of darkness. Light has come into the world and darkness does not like it. Jesus, though, knows that the Father has given everything into his hands and he's going back to the Father, having come from God the Father and going back. Jesus knew who he was. Jesus, Jesus knew what he had come to do. Then what follows is this famous act of Jesus, which is emulated around the world, even to this day. Some denominations do it regularly. The Seventh-day Adventists, for example, four times a year have a foot washing. And of course, on Maundy Thursday, during the week of Passion Easter, the Pope washes people's feet. A famous practice indeed. Let's look at it more closely this morning. This Jesus acting as a servant. But before we do, let's just remind ourselves from John's Gospel just who this is. In John chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, we read, in the beginning was this word, this word was with God, this word was God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. That's part of that prologue I mentioned. Then, climactically, in chapter 1, verses 14 to 18, there's this extraordinary claim. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. The glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This was the one that John bore witness, crying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we've received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, that great deliverer of the Exodus, that God used as his agent. But here's someone greater. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. That abstract notion of a word with God who was God now has a human name because we've entered the history of our world the history of which we are part. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is with the Father, this Word who's become flesh, he has made him known and the force of it is he still does. Theologically speaking, this is the incarnation. In carne, in flesh. One person, truly God, the Word, and truly human flesh. You see, the exalted created God that we heard read about in Isaiah 40, the one who sits on the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, this God has stooped to enter our world of brokenness in the most personal of ways. By stooped, I mean bent down, as it were, like an adult bending down to communicate with a toddler. It was St. Augustine back in the days of the early church 
who said that in some places in John's Gospel, Jesus comes before us in the form of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But in other places in the form of a servant, a human servant, the one who'd become flesh. And that's what we're seeing in our passage for today, in John 13. For let us remind ourselves of what Jesus does in the form of the servant. He laid aside his outer garments, we read, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Now, this was a sign of great humility. It was the servant's role. He pours water into a basin, begins to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. This is an even greater act of service than Mary, than Mary had done for Jesus in the earlier chapter, chapter 12, when she, as it were, wiped his feet with her hair. Now some background. Meals in the ancient world were common settings for teaching. And as for the meals, just imagine in this upper room, as it's called, a central table, and then there are these low lounges, as it were, sofas, that point to the central table. People would lie on those uh, sofas, prop themselves up on an elbow, and with the other hand reach out to grab the food. And then the servant or the slave, sometimes a child, would make sure they washed the feet of those who'd come to the supper or to the meal because, you know, dusty roads, feet needed to be washed. But Jesus takes on that role. There's no example from the ancient world before this of any leader doing something like this. The great Greek philosopher Aristotle would think this was foolishness because he thought humility was not really a good human value. The noble person was the person who was rightly proud of themselves. Humility was a weakness. Although it was a value amongst the Jews at the time, even so, it's interesting, Rabbi Judah Hanasi, around 200 AD, he was humble, had a reputation for humility. But he would never relinquish his position when it came to seating. Jesus did. He overturned the expectations of the day. And Peter's response, I think, echoes the expectations of the day. He comes to Simon Peter, Lord, do you wash my feet? He's incredulous. Jesus answered, what I'm doing to you now, you do not understand, but afterwards you will understand. Oh, Peter says, you'll never wash my feet. I cannot stress how emphatic this is. Peter is saying, never, ever, ever. And in response then to Peter, Jesus starts to unpack the meaning of what he's doing. The meaning of that hour, that decisive hour in God's dealings with you and me. That decisive hour that will be the cross of Calvary. Jesus says, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And as scholars point out, this is the language of inheritance. 
Jesus is saying, you'd have no future with me. Unless you embrace my service of you. But not all would embrace it. Judas is a case in point. He would soon prove himself to be the betrayer of Jesus. Importantly, by this action, Jesus more deeply is pointing to an act of service that will ultimately be further explained as this gospel unfolds its message to us. Underline the fact that, as John the Baptist says, who we have here is the Lamb of God who will take away the sin of the world. Underline the fact that here we have here the good shepherd who will lay down his life for the sheep. Indeed, another of the Gospels captures really what this is about. Mark chapter 10, verse 45 says, with Jesus as the speaker, for even the Son of Man came not be to, to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And for those who truly appreciate this stooping down, who truly appreciate what Jesus is about to do on our behalf, there is nothing less than eternal life. For as that most famous of verses, John 3.16, puts it, for God so loved this world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes, trusts in him, will not perish but have eternal life. Well, Peter makes a further response to this. Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. It's a rather ludicrous statement, but Peter was uh, inclined to exaggerate on occasion. Jesus says to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him, and that is why he said, not all of you are clean. Judas clearly is in view here. Well, next Jesus explains even more the significance of his act of service. In verses 12 and following, when he'd washed their feet, he put on the outer garment, resumed his place, and said, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right to do so, for so I am. Again, he knows who he is and what he's come to do. He knows his identity. He knows his mission. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also have to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example, a paradigm, that you also should do as I've done to you, truly, truly, which is literally our men, our men, something really important is going to be said now. I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, Jesus says, Blessed are you if you do them. In the light of Jesus' explanation, let's turn to serving the Jesus way. And I'll do so via a story I heard in Cambridge, England, during one of my stays there. It's the story of Owen Chadwick. 
an ordained Anglican minister, actually played rugby for England. He was a professor of history at Cambridge, ultimately its vice-chancellor. His expertise lay in church history and modern history. In fact, I studied his book, The Reformation, for my church history exam many years ago. Phil may have studied it too, for all I know. And at Cambridge, at one stage in his career, he was the master of one of its colleges, Selwyn College. And that's the setting of this story. You see, a student had been beaten up in the town, a new student, didn't know his way around. And they roughed him up, took his brand new shoes and threw them over the wall into the river Cam, they landed in the mud. He returned to Selwyn traumatised by this. The master was alerted, lived on the site. Anyway, the next morning, when the young man opened his door to go to breakfast, there were his shoes, cleaned up, polished. It appears that that night Sir Owen left Selwyn, went down to the town, searched the river until he found that bit of mud in which the boots were stuck, jumped over the wall, recovered them, cleaned them up, and had them there the next morning. Here was a Christian man who stooped to serve. So what are we to make of all this, this Sunday morning in Melbourne at Scott's Church? Friends, let's appreciate the God who stooped, the one who became flesh, lived among us, gave himself on that cross. As an Archbishop of Canterbury of years ago, A.M. Ramsey said, in God, there is no unchrist likeness at all. And as Jesus goes on to say in chapter 14, I'm sure you'll hear more of this, he who has seen me has seen the Father. You see, at the heart of the Christian faith is a value judgment about this person, about his significance for the world in general and for you and me in particular. It's a value judgment that Judas got wrong and Peter did not get it first, but later he did. Just that there are people in churches like Peter was at the beginning here. I remember at a communion service, a, a woman came to me. She was a church woman, been there for years, did the flowers, did the communion vessels. She looked up to me and said, I want to believe. And came to a personal faith in Jesus the one who stooped for us. Friends, we have been people, we are people who have been served by the God who stooped. We are people who have been died for. You have, you have, you have, I have. And then... Here is someone to emulate the Jesus way. 
Oh, and Chadwick did it. Do so within the life of this congregation and beyond. Now, I don't imagine many of us will have the opportunity to climb over the wall into the Arab, but we can all stoop to serve. Maybe as simple as a kind word to someone said after this service can start there. What's important as I bring this to a close is Jesus says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. The challenge is that our espoused theology, what we say we believe, and our operational theology, how we actually live, can be disconnected. The fact is, Christians behaving badly is a scandal that angers the world rightly because of such disconnects. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. But this is no mere moralism. Jesus is addressing disciples at this supper. Doing so flows out of belonging to Jesus as Lord and Master flows out of a presetting that we are people who've been died for, washed, as it were, by Jesus' sacrifice. So let me ask, is that appreciation true of us this morning? You've been listening to Scott's Cast, the Bible teaching podcast of Scott's Church, Melbourne. 